Hello and welcome to the Highland Bridge Builders podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Fagala, and we are on episode 20, episode 20. This is exciting. Uh, so for 20 weeks or so, we've been doing this podcast. And uh, I hope it's been an encouragement to you. I hope you, uh, if you're out of town, you're able to catch up on class. And uh, maybe you don't even live in Memphis and you're just able to listen to this. And uh, God is glorified through it. That's the goal. So today we are moving into part two of our Attributes of God series. This is a book by A.W. Tozer, a classic theology book, talking about things that are um, central to God's nature and who he is. And so today, Scott Frizzell, who always does an excellent job, I think that's my catchphrase, he always does an excellent job, but I truly believe that. Um, And Scott is going to look at God's goodness and also God's justice. So I'm very excited to listen to Scott this morning, and I hope that you are as well. Hey guys, Um, make sure I'm doing this right. Yeah, I think it's going. Um, So... Uh, about a year and a half ago, um, I got an opportunity for a promotion at work. So I was teaching full time and my boss came in and said that we're starting a middle school and we want you to be in charge of it. I was like, well, that's exciting. Let me think about that. So I go home and Ashley and I spend a few days talking about it, trying to weigh the pros and cons. Of course, don't do a very good job of it because today I'm still reaping the benefits of that failed conversation to really think it through. But in the end, we come up saying, yes, let's do that. And so I'm excited. I think I'm going into a pretty good situation here because my boss asked me to do it. I am the chosen one, right? So he's not going to be too upset with whatever I do because I'm the person he picked. Um, And then two months after they announce it, right when I'm about to start, like it's my first week, they announce that they've hired somebody else. And they've hired a new guy who's going to be in charge of all academics. So I have a new boss now. So it's terrifying. Like I accepted the job thinking that my boss was like totally on board with everything I wanted to do. And then they hired a new guy to be my boss. So I panicked a little bit. So I spent the summer before I started Facebook stalking my new boss. So I was getting on Facebook trying to find out as much as I could about him because he's from Pennsylvania, which was pretty scary already, you know, outsider. Um, So I'm Googling, you know, what's up with this Pennsylvania guy? What does he know about anything? And of course, he's been a principal and a headmaster and a president of a school and all this stuff. Like, great. Uh, He spent the last year as a preacher, so he's probably more Jesus-y than I am, too. Um, And unfortunately, it's really difficult to Facebook stalk someone who's a preacher, because, I mean, man, that Facebook is squeaky clean. Um, Eric probably didn't even, you don't have one. Yeah, you don't have, see, that's what it is. Yeah, it's got to be squeaky clean, man. So I'm scrolling back, looking for anything I can get to, I don't know, tell me what I just walked into with this guy, or like, maybe a good comment I can lead our first conversation with. But literally every week it's like, check out my podcast of my sermon this week. It's like, well, I'm not that dedicated. So I just kept scrolling back, looking for something. Finally, I just gave up because it was just sermon after sermon after sermon. So then I finally sat down with this guy. um, And he was not at all like his Facebook page, which was probably good for me. But I wanted to know going in kind of who I was working with because I thought that somehow that was going to help me out. And I think that's where we're coming at with Tozer, okay? So Tozer's book, The Attributes of God, which he does but doesn't write, it's collected from his sermons much longer after he's dead. So he wrote it but didn't write it. So anyway, he is trying to help us understand who God is. which seems like such a silly question because like, well, duh, we know who God is. I've been in church my whole life. Um, but there's so much more beyond this kind of surface level description of what we understand about God that we've kind of collected along the way. 
um, maybe similar to my Facebook stalking of my boss, right? Kind of there's deeper things that you don't really get until you intentionally take that time to dig and to think and to build. And Tozer does that really well. I'm told, based on my rudimentary research on Tozer, that he's actually quite humorous. I did not think so when I read his book. Did you? <laughs> no, I did not find him funny. But apparently in his day, he was hilarious. Um, so I guess something's lost in translation. Uh, it is several decades old at this point. Um, but he had a way of speaking to people uh, in normal, common terminology, but somehow making them realize these deeper levels of truth uh, to who God is. And that's what's so cool about this book, is if you spend some time with it, you do kind of start to think layers down. It doesn't always give you answers, uh, but you start to work further down. So last week, Grant talked about God's infinitude and immensity, um, which are big words. Uh, and today we're looking at the next two chapters, which are God's goodness and God's justice, um, which I think are kind of, a, I don't know, uh, words that maybe we've heard more frequently with God than immensity uh, and infinitude, right? Goodness, justice, those are things we've kind of associated with God probably our whole lives. Um, but Tozer's got a pretty interesting take. So a little bit about Tozer, because I like to know who I'm reading when I start reading the book. So um, he gets his first job as a preacher in 1919, for those of you who are trying to date how old this book is. Okay, so he starts preaching in 1919, five years after he's been converted as a teenager. So as a teenager, quite literally, there's a preacher man on the corner saying, if you don't convert, you're gone. And he's like, well, that sounds interesting. And so he gets hooked, and on deeper research, he finds out, uh, you know, well, there's some, he, he describes it as there's something different about God. There's something different about Christianity that doesn't quite gel with what I know, with the world that I'm in. Uh, and that kind of draws him in. He, he's baptized, and five years later, he's a preacher, and he preaches the rest of his life, uh, the vast majority of it in Chicago. And so as he's preaching, he's always focused upon this idea of what is it that makes Christianity and God so different, so countercultural? which it sounds hilarious when you're reading this and thinking about this guy doing this in 1920, when I kind of feel like that's where we are in 2017, so maybe not an awful lot has changed. But the big thing that he starts out talking about God's goodness is the idea of what he calls cowboy religion, which is definitely dating something, right? So cowboy religion is this idea that um, for a lot of people, religion is like a Western movie, okay? Are we all hooked now? We love Westerns. I don't. No. Not a big fan. <laughs> Not a lot of great Westerns recently. Um, maybe in Tozer's time, he's probably a big John Wayne fan. I don't know. Uh, but the idea that the West Westerns take something which, as a history teacher, I can say, is inherently boring, the West, and glamorizes it into this huge movie industry, right? Where you've got these like where the Western TV star is the epitome of cool at the time again, right? We're not talking now. Um, and everything in the West is so exciting and there's always something happening and there's a shootout and there's damsels in distress and there's crazy villains with great mustaches, right? Like all this stuff's going on. But really, at the root of it, when you look at it, the West is incredibly boring. Sorry, Eric. Um, but this idea of settling the Old West is far more uh, humdrum and dull than it is in the movies, right? And that's probably true with just about anything. And the idea that most of the people in the West are spending their time like dying of disease <laughs> or sitting around like doing nothing. Like there's not, 
There's not a shootout every other day. There's not these great fights going on. Uh, it's pretty dull. And he says, we've done the same thing with Christianity in 1920. He says, we've done the same thing. We've taken the parts of Christianity that are exciting, but kind of maybe surface level, right? Not really representative of the whole. And that's what we spend all of our time focusing on. But really, there's a whole lot more to Christianity that people have kind of written off because they don't like it for whatever reason. Maybe it's because in the West it's boring, right? But there's something there that there's more to it that we don't really talk about because it doesn't fit, right? It's not something that's marketable as well. Uh, and so we don't, we don't deal with those. So I did some research on YouTube last night uh, about Christianity and TV and movies today. You're lucky my wife talked me out of making a supercut of YouTube clips. Um, I kept running into profanity and I said, is it okay to use that in church if we like talk about it beforehand? And she seemed to think it was a little bit risky, so I didn't do it. But man, I know, you're disappointed now. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It was, a, there was, a, 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 it was very interesting. Like, I found some stuff that I knew was out there, like, okay, admitting some, tr- some truth about myself here. Like, I remember, especially from college, Family Guy. Family Guy's got a lot to say about God and Jesus that is... Um, less than stellar, right? Uh, I found a preview for a show called Black Jesus. Wow. I don't know. There's a whole, it's the, the concept is that Jesus has like come back to earth, but more modern day, but he's too cool for school and he still smokes weed. And he's like, I died for you, yo, what's the problem? It's a little bit, a uh, little questionable, right? Uh, I found a whole lot of references to God that, of people who were professed uh, to be religious in the TV show or in the movie. And then you watch it or watch a clip of it even, and it's kind of like, I don't know how I feel about that representing me, right? Have you ever been in that situation? Or even not with Christianity, maybe with your job. Like, that's whenever we watch like a medical show and Ashley's correcting, you're like, they would never do that. We would never do that. Like, that's kind of what they've done uh, with Christianity in movies. But they wouldn't do that if people weren't eating it up, right? And I think that's probably a trap that we fall into as well when we're talking about what it means to be a Christian and how we present ourselves to other people, is that we're falling into that same trap. So Tozer says one of the places that he thinks we do this the most is with God's goodness, which is kind of weird when you think about it, because I feel like that's something we're all kind of on board with, like that God is inherently good and that um, he's not just a nice guy, right, but there's something within him and his being that is naturally good, right? And what Tozer's saying is, um, yeah, we say he's good like he's our warm, fuzzy buddy, but we don't really appreciate the depth of what that really means. So to illustrate his point, he goes to the story of the prodigal son. So he goes to the prodigal son, and he's telling the prodigal son story um, in his sermon. He's paraphrasing, uh, using his great wit. Um, and the prodigal son, you know, he, go, he asks for his half of the inheritance. He goes, he blows it, and then he gets hungry, and there's a famine, and he starts to want to eat with the pigs before he goes home. And when he goes home, uh, when he comes over the hill, what happens? His father's waiting for him, father's waiting for him and he's pumped, right? He's not like, all right, you can come back, but there's going to be some, some rules. You need to accept that what you've done here was a mistake. Can we talk about that? Like, there's none of that, right? It's just like, who cares? Woo! Which is not at all the way that we function, right? When we have someone who has done something that has wronged us, it's like, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm going to be happy to forgive you and take you back, but let's have a conversation about this because this did hurt me, right? And we need to heal from this. Uh, but no, and in fact, I did some, 
I don't, I don't speak Greek, um, so I can't translate from the original Greek, but what I can do is go through every translation on Bible Gateway, looking for all the different ways that it's been interpreted. My absolute favorite, okay, and the one that I think that most gets at the heart of what Tozer is saying uh, is when Tozer translates it, uh, or when they translate it in Luke 15, 20, it says, when he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His heart pounding, he ran out, embraced him, and kissed him. Okay, I'll read it one more time. Okay, when he was still a long way off, his father saw him, his heart pounding, he ran out, embraced him, and kissed him. I like that. A lot of the other translations that I looked at said that he was full of compassion, which I think is true, but it makes it sound like he saw him and he's like, oh, I do love that guy. I'm going to move past this. But there's no moving past it for God. It's like the state of being that he is, that it's natural and immediate without hesitation, that he sees us and his heart immediately starts pounding and he's thrilled. Regardless, there's no like thinking back through what had happened. So I think probably our hang up here and maybe what Tozer's getting at is that our con- we have a conception of goodness. Like we believe there are good people, or at least I do, right? But our version of goodness is nothing like God's version of goodness. Our version of goodness, right? Uh, when I think of some of the really good people that I know, like I would hope that if I came back prodigal son style, they would come and meet me and give me a hug and welcome me back. But there's probably still some stuff going through their head, even if they're being really polite and not saying it, okay? But God doesn't have any of that. And our story on almost daily, probably sometimes hourly or momently basis is the prodigal son story, right? Where we're repeatedly coming back over the rise over and over and over. And God never gets tired or slower to react. It's always immediate, always instant, and always the same level of oomph, right, as the first time. And that's something that we as humans can't really conceive of because it doesn't work that way. Um, Last night, we went to Tzatziki's for dinner, saw the Shapleys. It was a great time. we weren't with the Shapleys, they were doing their own thing. Um, but we were out at Tzatziki's with my parents. Ashley was working, which means that I hit my parents up for a meal, uh, which is generally what happens for dinner when Ashley works. Um, occasionally I will have to cook, but I try to avoid it. So we went to Tzatziki's with my parents. So it was me and my two daughters and then my, grand- my parents, their-, their grandparents. So we order our food and it had just been one of those days where like I want to pull my hair out as a parent. like. Nothing was going the way that it was supposed to. I started the day with a third child that I was taking care of for someone else. They got picked up a little after lunch. So by then I was just wiped out. It's like, I don't know how you people with more than two do it. And I was like, I'm done. Okay. So then I was like, I'm going to go out to meet with my parents. Then we're going to come home and go to bed. And Juliet in particular is getting on my last nerve, like every last nerve, because she's just real, come to the realization that she's incredibly cute. And this means she can get away with lots of things that Claire can't. So when Claire tries to do something and gets in trouble, Juliet will then try to do it and then give this grin, like, what are you going to do? And then when you get onto her or spank her or put her in timeout, what's going on? She's like, and then you get her out and she does it again. It's like that phase where you put her in timeout and then she gets out and does it again. And then you put her back in timeout and she gets out and does it and it's exhausting, right? And so over time, I start to get a little more frustrated. I like to think that the first time I punish my child, I'm usually pretty sweet about it. Like, 
oh, I'm sorry, you did punch me in the face, we're gonna put you in the think spot, like, and now let's have a conversation about it, but the more they do it, like, the less sweet I get, right? It's like, now, <laughs> like, this storm, I'm like, I need to go contain myself from it. So we're sitting at Tzatziki's, and Claire and Juliet have been kind of on my last nerve. So Juliet is over between my parents on one side of the booth, Claire's on my side, because that was a trip, because everyone had an opinion about who, where everyone was supposed to sit. So we finally get settled. And I'm keeping an eye on Claire, who's, you know, being very time-consuming. And all of a sudden, I look across the way, and Juliet is, like, standing up on the bo in the booth and has turned around and is reaching over the back of the booth and, like, swami rubbing a bald guy's head. <laughs> I just, like, shh. I was like, Mom! And my mom's like, oh, you know, she doesn't even notice what's going on. She's like, sit on your bottom. I was like... I'm like mouthing at mom because I don't want this guy, like this guy kind of like looks over his shoulder like, what was that? And then sees there's a toddler and is like, oh, whatever. He, don't, he doesn't talk to me, thank goodness. Um, <laughs> and I'm looking at my mom and I'm like gesturing at her like, and I, I think she still thinks that she was thinking about rubbing the head as opposed to physically rubbing this guy's bald head. Um, and I'm just losing it. And so finally, mom, I'm just like, mom, just give her over here. So now I got both kids. And then Juliet's like, on the floor. I'm like, get in the chair. And she gets back in the chair. And then she gets back on the floor and goes, like, in the chair. Well, with each time I say that, right, my voice is getting a little more gruff and I'm getting a little more frustrated and I'm not really dealing with it well anymore. So by the time we finally get home and she's like really going crazy, I'm just done and I've lost my temper with her. And I think that's where we find ourselves, right? Our goodness has limits. Sometimes shorter limits than others, depending what the offense is. And sometimes our goodness has, uh, our, our ability to be good, right, has longer memories, right? My kids and my wife, who I love more than anyone else, I still can't manage to be good with for a whole day sometimes, right? But God is in the position where his goodness is so limitless, so infinite, so immense, right, that it keeps repeating time and again, no matter the offense, no matter how severe the offense, no matter how often repeated the offense, Okay? And that's something that we forget when we say that God is good because we're thinking of people's goodness. But God's goodness is so much deeper. So I think that's kind of hard to think through, but um, Tozer does a really good job of, of providing that as an example. But the other thing, we don't just lose that depth when we're talking about God's goodness. We also lose that depth when we're talking about his justice. And in fact, I think it's a lot more troublesome there. I think as a society, we are obsessed with the idea of justice. Like, I think that's one of the things that really makes us tick more than anything else. Um, Claire's really good at tattling on people. Like, that's her thing. Um, and I think it's annoying. It's like, stop tattling. It's okay. Get over it. Like, stop this. Uh, one of my friends said, though, it's not that she's a tattletale. It's that she loves justice. And I was like, well, that's a great way to put it, but yes. But we're obsessed with justice. I also thought about this when um, we were hanging out with my daughters yesterday, and they wanted to listen to Taylor Swift on repeat, right? This whole idea of, like, who has wronged who and who's going to get even how and all that business, like, we're obsessed with that as a culture, right? And I think even if we want to pretend we're not part of that larger culture, we personally are obsessed with justice, and making sure that things are equal in the end, right? Or at least maybe that's how we see it. Um, that's how we understand justice, right? As things being made equal somehow. Things are square in the end. Whatever has to happen for that to be the case. Um, 
But I also think that maybe our idea of whether or not something is just or not is very much influenced by our perspective and where our shoes are. I generally feel uh, that things are pretty just because I have no personal experience to suggest otherwise. I have yet to be falsely imprisoned for something uh, or accused of something I did not do where I was not exonerated in some way. Um, but that's hardly the experience of everyone, even in our city, much less our world. Um, about a week ago, I had a student come into my office at the end of the day um, in tears because a girl, so he's an eighth grade boy, um, and a girl who's in seventh grade had accused him of calling her a mean name and pushing her up against a locker. Middle school problems. So, but he was so upset because he had just gotten back from our trip to Washington, D.C., and we'd gone to the uh, Smithsonian of African American History and Culture. So, of course, being the history teacher, I'm, you know, lecturing all about everything they're going to see and taking them around in the museum, making them see everything. And I had shown, I'd made a point to show all my bus this big exhibit within the museum to Emmett Till. Um, which is just a heartbreaking story. Um, he's a young black boy who's lynched in Mississippi. We could do the whole story later, but we don't have time. Um, anyway, it had touched this kid because he's a young black boy living in Memphis. And so he, this resonates with him because Emmett Till gets murdered at the same age that my eighth graders are, okay, for doing nothing, okay? Um, someone brings false witness against him and then he gets abducted in the night and brutally murdered and seen as a spark for the civil rights movement if that helps you at all, but it's really an ugly story. So he comes to me because he has seen the Emmett Till exhibit and he is terrified of what's going to happen to him if people start to believe that he's done these things. Oh, how do you like even start to talk about that? Like, and then the next morning his mom came in with him because he'd gone home and said the same thing to his mom all night because he was distressed. And his mom, it's not like mom's like, you better not let him get lynched. There was none of that. But she was, she was hurting for her boy, right? That he was afraid that such injustice was possible in his school, much less in the world, that he, someone could say something about him and that that would happen. And for the record, nothing happened to him. Um, but I think that that's this type of, this idea of justice that we're really struggling with. Like, when things are honky-dory or when we're in a pretty good preferred situation in life, we feel like the world is pretty just, but we're not really judging justice. We're judging how things have gone for us. But if we look at our world as a whole and we think outside of our own shoes, I think we find a whole lot of reasons that the world is unjust. Whether it is something bad that's happened to us when we didn't feel like we deserved it, or maybe if it's looking at our world um, and the conversations I have with my students about people like them who get killed and nothing happens, right? So I think there's this question of God is supposedly just, but there's this problem, right? It's interesting because when Tozer writes about justice, he explains that God is just, and then he says, but there's a central theological issue with this. I'm like, of course there is. Bad things happen to good people. And he says, how do you deal with the fact that bad people get to go to heaven? And I was like, that wasn't where I was going with that. But Tozer's got a good point underlying that. And it's this, this idea, he says, God is not just like we think of it before everyone freaks out and runs mad at church, right? He says, God is not just like we think about it. He says, because God is, God is not coming about to bring justice to the world because God is justice, okay? Okay, so God is justice. 
that doesn't really help me, right? Like, what even is that supposed to mean? Um, but Tozer starts to spell it out a bit more, and it makes a little bit more sense. He says, if you look at the Old Testament, every single time that the word, word justice appears in the Old Testament, that Hebrew word that's there is also translated one other way, righteousness. Okay, so if justice and righteousness is are apparently the same thing, Hebrewically speaking, right? If righteousness and justice are the same thing, then somehow those are linked. So the idea that God is justice, the idea that in the end, when we are reunited with God, all things are made right, all things are made equal-ish, right? But in God's way through him, Okay? I think we look around our world and we look for ways for God to bring justice. How can God sit back and let this happen because this is not equitable, right? But nothing about God has ever been equitable. Because when we get into heaven, that has nothing to do with it being equitable, right? At all. There is nothing within what I have done that makes me deserving of that in any way, shape, or form. But that's justice. It's the idea that God makes it right. It's not equal, it's not equitable, because if that's the case, we're all in deep trouble, right? The idea behind justice is that God makes it right in the end. So we do find ourselves in this spot where maybe, maybe things aren't so great. Maybe we do have a problem or something bad that happens, but it's not because God isn't just that it's happening, right? Because he's justice right? There's a huge difference. Our idea of what, what is just or what is not, I think, is the big difference. I think a great example of this uh, is Moses in the Old Testament. So Moses lives to be 120, spends the vast majority of that time leading the Israelites, right? So man gets to see the 10 plagues, talk to the burning bush, parting of the Red Sea. He's seen some stuff, right? Probably feels pretty comfortable in understanding what, a bit more what God is like than anyone else, right? Sees God's back when he gets uh, when he dies, all this stuff. So when Moses in the book of Deuteronomy is getting ready to like head off into the sunset, like they've already done their 40 years of wandering and Moses is not allowed to go into the promised land because of his sins. So he hands off his mantle to Joshua and he's about to head home. And he has a farewell speech and song, which would love to hear 120-year-old Moses put out his farewell song and hear what that actually sounded like being sung. But there's a quote that I've pulled out from it. In the middle of his song, he says, The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. I love that. All his ways are justice. We don't need to think about him coming into a situation that we view as unequal and balancing it. We'll look at something that we don't understand and saying, well, this is problematic that God's letting this happen, right? All his ways are justice. And if we focus on that end moment, right, it helps us see that. Do we still see it all the way? No, right? You're looking around and if you're trying to understand how something is just or how God allows something to happen or any of that stuff, you're going to be flummoxed, right? Because it's that that, that problem with the translation, right? We talk about justice from a worldly perspective, but that's not what justice is, because justice is God. And maybe when we get to heaven, we'll understand it with that depth, but I don't know that that's true either, right? Because I think there's something immense about God, some depth to God that we can't fully appreciate. So when we try to think, well, God's justice is all about making things equal, 
we're losing so much of value of what it means when he talks about God's justice, because it's not simply about equaling things out. It's about making it right, right? Being righteous. God's righteousness is what delivers us. Um, nothing about the uh, equilibrium or restoring some order, okay? Um, and I think the problem with both of these terms, though, and Tozer's right when he talks about the cowboy religion at the beginning, is these are words that we see, right? We don't see infinitude in our world, but we do see justice, supposedly, and goodness, supposedly. But maybe we should come up with different words or something, right? Because those two words have very little to do with the actual act of what those things mean to God. Um, a couple of years ago, I got to go visit PBS uh, with school, um, got to go up and tour their facilities and get some professional development, had to leave Camp Highland to go to a conference, which was a bummer, but at least if I was doing that, I got to go see Sesame Street. <laughs> so I was super, like, a little unhealthily excited about seeing Sesame Street. Like, huge part of my childhood, like, can you tell me how to get to Sesame Street? I will. I'm going. I'll let you know. So I finally get to uh, PBS National Headquarters, which I got lost trying to find there, so it was kind of fitting. Um, and I finally found the building, and I went in, and after the first session of the conference, I was like, can we go to Sesame Street? Like, I'm gonna go see Sesame Street. And they were like, okay, sure thing. So they take me over to Sesame Street. I really should not have gone to Sesame Street. Like, aside from just being creepy that I was like the 20-something-year-old sitting in Sesame Street, like, it was so sad, like, something that I had seen my whole life, like as a kid that was like this awesome, magical place. And then like you show up there and it's a set, like, and there's cameras and there's lights. And it's just like, well, where's Sesame Street? Like, this is not Sesame Street. Uh, met, met Elmo, it was a little disturbing, right? Like, this isn't right either. We have our picture of what those things should be. And we have our picture of what God should be. And sometimes we might have a general idea of what that is. But in the reality of what we understand in this world, it's always found wanting. When we use the words that we do to try to understand God, we can describe him. But when we're there, there's just no way that the real thing, God, is going to line up with it. Right? Our language is challenged in that. Our brains are challenged in that, that we can't ever make those connections. Okay? So, just kind of the closing, closing wrap-up thought. When we see it, we might think we know it, but we probably don't. There's value in trying to think through it, right? Rather than saying, well, I'll never understand God, so woo, too bad. Like, there's value in struggling and, and fighting with it intellectually to try to understand what that justice is and what that goodness is. But our words, our understanding of those things are always just kind of the sets, right? They're not anything close to the reality, and we could never go to the real reality. I'll never go to the real Sesame Street. Um, because you can't um, until we're there with him in the end. Okay, thank you to Scott for an excellent job. Like I said, didn't he do an awesome job? I love his style of teaching and uh, just kind of who he is. He can just comes through in the way that he talks and delivers a message. Uh, appreciative for all the stories. I shared this in the class after, but, um, man, I had a day where my goodness meter was was very, very short, and so, uh, you know, just losing my temper with my kids, and sometimes Saturdays are like that. They're a relaxing day, or sometimes they're a really stressful day, and so uh, maybe we need to take a, a tip from God and, and be 
I was going to say gooder, but be better. <laughs> Exhibit a little bit more goodness, a little bit more mercy with our children. And then sometimes justice is appropriate, right? Um, but man, Scott, great job. Thank you for, for that, for the time that you put into that. So we will be back next week. Um, I believe we're actually talking about God's mercy, which is definitely related certainly to his justice and also his goodness. And then something else that I don't quite know, and I don't know who's teaching it, but man, I'm sure it'll be great. So hope you're having an awesome weekend. Um, just all of God's blessings to you uh, this week as you go through your life, through school and work and everything else. And uh, we will see you next week on the Highland Bridge Builders podcast. Have a great week.